Good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing this morning? It's kind of weird to have your pastor ask you that, isn't it? It's kind of like, do I answer? I don't know what to do. Um, but no, it's, uh, it's always an honor and a privilege to be able to come together and, and worship the risen King together. And so uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here with everybody again this morning. Uh, and I don't know if you've noticed or not, uh, but my uh, beloved wife is not with me this morning because she went to a baby shower in New Jersey yesterday. And so I am a bachelor dad for the weekend and uh, gives me so much more respect for, for, for my own mom as a single parent. Uh, but uh, it, it's not that often when one of us gets a chance to get away uh, on our own for, for something fun. Uh, when... Uh, we were planning to move down here to Charleston. I had taken a job down here, and I was having to commute down here from Hendersonville, North Carolina, every week. Uh, and so I don't really count that because commuting for work is not necessarily enjoyable. Uh, but aside from that, I don't really remember the last time uh, I got to, to get away uh, just for myself. Not, not that I'm complaining. I'm just saying I don't remember that. But what I do remember is I remember the first time that we took a, uh, a vacation together. Uh, we were married in, in, on, on May 22nd, 2010. And so uh, in June, we had our first vacation together. We got away for an extended weekend, and we, came, we were living in Rock Hill, South Carolina, and we came down here to Charleston for the weekend. And for the first time ever, uh, we were freshly married, still kind of figuring out married life and all that, but for the first time ever, our personality differences really came to shine in what we expected out of that vacation. Uh, I'm very much an extrovert, but I'm also very laid back and kind of take things as they come. And so for me, my plan was to not make plans. We're just going to take every day as it comes and go see people. And while we're here, let's, let's, let's contact everybody and see everyone that we can and do everything that we can, but not make plans to do it. My wife is the extreme antithesis of me in that regard. She is the introvert to my extrovert. She didn't want to contact anybody. And she is very much a planner to my uh, not planner. I, I'm not exactly the, the uh, eloquent wordsmith on that one. But she wanted to plan out every single moment. She wanted to, to make sure that we hit up a certain thrift store at a certain time and finish in time to go downtown to go get some pralines on Market Street. And, and, but she had everything like kind of planned out to the T. And our personality, personality differences really came to clash uh, on our first vacation together as a, a married couple, uh, and that conflict came because we both had these plans and expectations and didn't communicate them. And since then, we've really learned how to compromise, and by compromise, I mean I learned how to do what she really wants to do, and, uh, but that's what a loving husband does. Uh, <laughs> But in all seriousness, that conflict arose because we both had plans and expectations and never communicated those with the other person. And I'm pretty sure that everyone does this on some level. Even if you're not married, we do this with the friends that we have. 
We make plans and we, we expect other people to listen to what we have to say because our plans clearly are the best. And we want other people to do the plans that we have and then conflicts arise because we don't always do the greatest job of communicating those plans. And if you have done this, then that helps you to understand this passage that we're looking at in James chapter 4. You make plans, but you don't always see the big picture of what's going on around the plans that you want to make. And maybe it, not, it might not even be that you didn't communicate those plans, but sometimes God has a bigger plan in plan. That God has something bigger for you than the plans that you set and establish. And sometimes it's just maybe that we don't even consider the sovereign will that God has over the plans that we make. And so, some, and so looking at this passage, James is addressing the people that make their plans for their lives without even considering the involvement or the will of God. I want you to remember, for those of you that have been listening uh, to these uh, sermons in James for a while, or if this is your first time here, the audience that James is addressing here is a group of believers uh, that are part of what he has called the dispersion. These are believers that are, are being persecuted, and they've run for their lives. They're, they've fled. They're, they're, they got out of doubt. Uh, they got the... Uh, they got out of Dodge. Let's leave it at that. Um, but they fled for their lives. And James is addressing these believers, and he's reminding them to be faithful, not just in their, their words, but their deeds as well. And here he's addressing the Christians that are making career decisions, yet they're making these decisions for their lives without acknowledging the will of God. They're not acknowledging God's authority over his people. And I would even go so far as to say that James is making the statement that every aspect of a Christian's life should submit to God's authority. Not just the worship that Christians do, not just the songs that we sing when we come together, but the way that we treat people the way that we, we commit our lives, the things that we commit our lives to. James is saying all of that falls under the authority of God. All of that falls under the umbrella of God's authority. And it's human nature to want to compartmentalize those things. It's easy to say, well, on Sunday mornings, I'm going to go and I'm going to... to I'm going to put in my, my hour, two hours of, of church time. I'm going to, I'm going to sing my, my Jesus songs. I'm going to follow along with the sermon. But the rest of the week, that's on me. I've got to take care of everything else. Because we love this concept of Christ as Savior, but we often want to argue with the concept of Christ as our Lord. Because if He really is Lord of all, then that's going to cause us, me, you, to have to submit to His will and to His authority. And in our natural state, the heart fights against that. Because we do not want to submit to anybody, let alone a sovereign, a sovereign God over all of creation. And so James, in this brief passage that we're looking at this morning, gives three things to examine and uh, I'm going to give them to you now. One, the things that you commit to. 
Second, the one that you submit to. And third, the things that you omit to do. And that might not be grammatically correct, but it's okay because it fits in with the rhyming scheme there. But the things that you commit to, the one that you submit to, and the things that you omit to do. Uh, So let us pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time together that we can, we can freely come and we can sit and rest in Your Word. That we can sing these songs of praise to You. That we can give You this time uh, just to sit at the foot of Your throne and worship in awe of You. And so God, I pray that while we are here, that You would fill this place with Your Spirit, God. That You would speak through me, that this would not be my message, these would not just be my words, but God, that you would speak your eternal truth, your gospel truth through me. Use this time together now for the glory of your name. And I pray this in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Now, if you were here last week, we were looking at the beginning part of James chapter 4, which was talking about how Christians should actually live their lives in a manner that is contrary to the world around them, because the Christians that he was addressing were acting more like non-Christians than believing and professing Christians. There was bickering and arguing and fighting and pride. And James is still in that mindset as he writes this passage that we're looking at this morning, that uh, in fact, he's, he's narrowing that search. Before he was addressing the entire congregation about the, their attitudes and, and being contrary to the uh, so surrounding world, but here he's specifically addressing uh, the, the wealthy congregation members. In fact, the business people that are uh, making these business plans for their future. And he's saying to watch out for the things that you commit to. Starting in verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. He's not, a, he's not saying that they're making plans is wrong. The, the, the sin is not necessarily in making plans themselves. It's the fact that they have no consideration for the bigger picture. He says, what is your life? He says, you are like a mist. For those of you that are familiar with your Old Testament, this kind of brings imagery from the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, where the, uh, the author of Ecclesiastes commonly thought to be King Sol- Solomon, and I would have to agree, but the author is saying everything is vanity. And that when you chase after fulfillment in your work or you chase after fulfillment in just the things that you do, he's saying that's like chasing smoke. You're chasing after the wind. You're putting all this effort into things that you cannot catch when you're trying to fulfill yourself in your work, in your toil. And this is being echoed in James. He's saying you're putting all of your plans and your effort and your energy into making business plans for the future, and your life is nothing more than a mist that is here for a while and will fade away. The problem's not wealth. The problem is self-reliance. 
a lot of the, the book of James actually uh, echoes the teachings of Jesus, uh, probably because James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was there during his, his time on earth. He was there during his ministry. And a lot of the things that James writes about is coming directly from the teachings of Jesus. And so even here, uh, it's a reminder of Matthew chapter 19 where Jesus is addressing the, the rich young ruler. In fact, I'll read a, a couple of verses for you real quick. But uh, the rich young ruler has come to Jesus and he's asking, how can I gain eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do the commandments say? And, and the, the, uh, the rich young ruler gives him the Sunday school answer, you know, to don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, do all these things. And Jesus says, exactly. And the rich young ruler is saying, well, I haven't done any of those things. And Jesus says, great job. Now, sell all of your possessions, give away all the things that you are clinging to so desperately, and follow me. And Scripture says, that the rich young ruler walks away, walks away sad, sorrowful, for he had great, great possessions. And in Matthew 19, starting in verse 23, it says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The wealth itself is not sinful. It's that the wealth often leads the human heart to self-reliance. The people who have the most usually are the ones that are denying and rejecting God. The people that are able to depend on what their own hands can provide are the quickest to say, I don't need what God has to offer because I can take care of myself. Think of your own life. When have you most often sought after God? Is it when everything is going right and falling into place? And man, I can't believe my kids actually listened to everything I said today. That never happens. But are, are those times where, you know, I got to work or I got to school and everything just happened exactly as I, I aced that test or I, I, I got that promotion or everything is going great and life is sunshine and rainbows? I just want to talk to God even more now. That is most often not the case. Usually, the times where we reach out to God the most and we are most desperate for what He has to say to us is when our life is falling apart. When someone that you love has died or gotten that news that they're going to. When you've been fired and you don't know how you're going to support your family. That test that you've been studying for all week has completely tanked even worse than you thought it would. For those of you that might be even be old enough to look into college, when you don't get into that college that you want so desperately, it's when your life is falling apart and you don't know how you can hang on anymore and all of the plans that you have made are quickly falling apart. Those are the times where you reach out to God and desperately say, I need what you have for me because I cannot do it myself. And Jesus recognizes that tendency of the human heart and he says that it's the people that 
think that they can take care of everything on their own, it is easier for, the eye, for, for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to seek after God and enter the kingdom of heaven. The problem isn't wealth. It's our self-reliance and depending on ourselves. James says, he's telling the believers, look at your own life. All the plans that you make, these business decisions that you're making, your life is like a mist. You're not even promised tomorrow. At the risk of sounding morbid and depressing, any one of us honestly could leave church this very morning and something drastic could happen in between here and home. None of us are promised even the very next hour, let alone tomorrow. And yet we make these plans for how we're going to spend our futures without any consideration of the authority of God. And so James points the congregation and us as well to God Himself, forcing you to examine the one that you submit to. In verse 15, James writes, Instead, you want to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. Because all things fall under God's control. Every single thing. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that so often without even acknowledging the fact that we are praying for His will to be done above all things. When Jesus is about to be arrested before His his persecution, and He's praying so intently in the garden, And he prays, God, please take this cup from me. But if not, not my will, but yours be done. God in the flesh, God the Son, is praying to God the Father that the Father's will be done. That that God him wrap your heads around this, that God Himself would submit to God Himself. That the Son would submit to the Father. In Acts chapter 2, as Peter is preaching at Pentecost with the coming of the Spirit, Peter addresses the people and he says this, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That even the persecution and crucifixion and death of Christ was all according to the plan of God that nothing in that was coincidence or accident. Everything happens according to the sovereign will of God. And James is saying recognize that. Acknowledge that. Not that you have to say with every single little thing if the Lord wills. Not well, if the Lord wills, my kids are getting a bath tonight. 
although that might actually be applicable for some kids. But if the Lord wills, man, I really want some Taco Bell tomorrow. No, he's not saying that you every single little thing, but he's saying the plans that you are making for your future and for your, your hope, the things that you're planning on committing your very life to, if the Lord wills, we'd love to have another child in our family. Not us. We're done. Four is enough. If the Lord wills, I'm going to take care of that this fall. Um, if the Lord wills, I'm going to get that college that I want so desperately. If the Lord wills, I'm going to make that career move and I'm going to, I'm going to chase after that, that job opening. If the Lord wills, we're going to make that move to the other side of the country because I think that's where the Lord is leading us. That's what James is saying. Not that you have to you know, pray to God, God, give me the wisdom to, to choose where I'm going to lunch today. But he's saying, acknowledge the sovereign will of God and seek after His wisdom when you're making the things that you are committing your entire life to. The things that you're hoping for and planning for. When you're making your plans, submit your one or submit your will to the plan maker himself. The one who, who all plans fall under his sovereign will and authority. Take your plans to him. In verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Because we love to brag, and the things that we do are the things that we plan, are the things that we accomplish, without any consideration of what God has done to get us to that point. I know I'm guilty of that. But you read the, the letters of Paul, and Paul says that boasting or here James says that boasting is evil. Paul says in Romans two that boasting in the law actually dishonors God. That when you're boasting in your accomplishments and the things that you are achieving, that brings dishonor to the very name of God. Or in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul just flat out says, boasting is not good. I think James is actually intensifying that. He says that your boasting is evil. He's not pulling punches with the congregation here. He's not trying to sugarcoat things or make it sound nicer than he is. He's saying that boasting is evil. Your self-reliance is evil. Over the past several weeks, we've looked at what James has said about relying on your own abilities or your own wisdom, and he's calling it demonic and evil. And James is saying that when you are living your life in such a way that you are not taking the will and compassion of God and a consideration that you are pursuing evil. It's easy to say all the right things and all the, the churchy phrases and all the Christian lingo. You might even do a lot of good things. But if your heart does not submit to the will of God, James says that your heart is filled with evil. 
So I have to ask, I have to, who is your heart submitting to? Are you boasting in your own efforts? Are you submitting to the God who has ordained all things? Which brings us to the final point. It's not just the things that you commit to or who your heart submits to, but James is urging the congregation here and us today. Examine the things that you omit to do. And for me, this was one of the most difficult verses to read, but it's also one of the reasons why I love the book of James the most. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. I want you to catch that. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. It's easy to point fingers at the sins that other people's commit that other people's other people commit and say look look at that person committing adultery especially for celebrities look look at how they're failing in their marriage or the things that they're doing to their spouse but scripture calls for the believers in Christ to care for the orphans and the widows it's easy to look at the things that they're doing wrong but are you taking the time to examine the things that, you're, that we are specifically commanded to do and yet not doing? Look, that person, that famous celebrity, that famous pastor, because we have a lot of celebrity pastors in our culture today, look, that person was caught in a lie. That person is a cheater, a thief, an adulterer, whatever. Fill in the blank. Look at what that person is doing. And Scripture is commanding you, love your neighbor as yourself. It's easy to point fingers at the things that other people do. But are you taking the time to reflect on the things that you are called to do and yet not doing? I think the only word that applies to that is ouch. It hurts. It's real because, I don't know about you, but I feel that on a daily basis. I struggle with that. I am not the greatest at loving my neighbor, especially the work commute on, in the morning when everyone's like trying to cut in front of you. And That is where I love my neighbor the least. And my heart struggles with this. Because I see the things that Scripture is calling me to do and my heart does not want to do them in its natural state. But my hope is not in me. And church, whoever ends up filling this pulpit, your hope is not in this pastor. Your hope is not in, in Pastor Phil. I love you, but it's not. It's not in me. It's not in whoever will fill this pulpit one day. Your hope is in the one who knew what was right and already did it. I go to Philippians chapter 2 where Paul writes, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That God the Son did not count equality with God the Father something to cling to, something to grasp and hold on to, but He emptied Himself and made Himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, putting on flesh, and He humbled Himself to the point of death on a cross. His humility and His obedience is your redemption and your salvation. His humiliation is your freedom. His death is your eternal life. So James says, if you know the right thing, then do it. Not to earn God's favor, but because God's favor was already done on your behalf. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want you to really take a moment to examine your own heart. Even to, even to pray, God, help me to see the truth of my own selfishness and my own, uh, the, the evil in my own heart. And to ask, who are you really trusting? You look at your life plans and your goals. When you make those plans, when you make those, those goals that you want to strive for and chase after, are you submitting to the One who has already ordained those things? Are you living a life of humble obedience, not trying to earn the love of God, but because that love was already given to you? Are you? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for, for this time this morning and this Word that You have given to us. And we confess that far too often we trust our own efforts and our own abilities and our own achievements far more than we trust in You. We confess that to You. And God, we ask that You would take those idols from our heart, that You would destroy them. Anything that we put in the way of submitting our wills and our trust and our hope in You. God, take those things away. Let us follow the humble obedience of Jesus Christ. Not to earn the love that You offer, but because You gave it to us first. Help us in the things that we commit to as we submit to You. We thank You, Lord, and we pray this in the victorious and eternal name of Christ. Amen.